Hey, uh, today is different. Today is different than uh, a normal week. So um, it's going to be Jesse McBride and I together going to be uh, bringing the word to you. And so if you want to welcome Jesse McBride out, come on, man. And so, um, so Jesse is uh, one of my uh, best friends, and he's one of them. So I know there's some of you in the crowd or maybe watching who might be one of them. So I can't say he is my best friend, but he's one of them. And uh, anyways, we meet regularly. He's, he's a re- uh, resident missionary here uh, at Bayou Tala, and we get together weekly, usually at a coffee shop, and have uh, long, deep theological conversations. And I was sharing with him how I knew when we were going through the Gospel of John, this chapter in, in John, chapter 15, I have personally preached probably three times uh, in, in my preaching ministry here. And so I was like, I've said a lot about John 15, and I know when we get to it, you're going to be like, oh, we've heard this before, Pastor, you've already said this. It's just one of my favorite passages. It's such a good, it's such a good section of Scripture. And so um, I said, well, what if you, you know, we just, well, actually, he came up with the idea of doing it together because I was going to ask him to preach, and I guess he didn't want to write a full sermon. So he said, why don't we do it together? And so we're doing this kind of um, coffee shop style. Uh, We're we're a little bit more prepared probably than our normal meeting. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) One of us is. I got the coffee. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even bring coffee. All right. Well, if we could get a coffee up here. Okay, that'd be great. Uh, No, there's room for more. Um, Anyways. (laughs) I took my label. I copied you. I took my label off. So now we're confused whose water is whose, but... No, I know. I can tell. The one yeah. closest to me is mine. Okay. But, so, so yeah, so this is what it's going to be like. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through John 15 together and, um, and just kind of go back and forth and share the, the teaching times. It's going to be a little bit different. If this is your first time or if you're pretty new with us, this is not normal for us. And so um, this is a first. We'll see how it goes. If it fails... You'll have a story to tell, you know? And so um, what I want to do, though, is like our normal habit is to uh, read the passage in John, and then, um, and then we'll pray and get started. So um, just to give you some context of where we are, if you're, if you're maybe joining us for the first time, is that um, the, gospel, the section we're in, in the Gospel of John, um, is the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus is alone with his disciples uh, in the upper room, they've shared a Passover meal, and, uh, and he's giving them some final instructions. So these last several chapters before the cross is just private uh, teaching ministry of Jesus with his disciples. At this point, they are probably, I mean, so Jesus is hours away from being betrayed and arrested and taken to the cross. And, um, and so these are kind of his final words, and they're probably getting up for, from dinner. The, la- the end of the last chapter, he's like, rise, let us go. And, and you know, as you kind of get ready to leave somewhere, or at least Jesse and I, when we're leaving a coffee shop, we're like, hey, let's get out of here. And then we're in the parking lot for another 30 minutes. So it's kind of that thing where people are getting their stuff, they're getting up, they're moving around, they're getting ready to head down to the garden. And, um, and so uh, Jesus says this in John 15, Verse 1. You got your Bibles? Are you ready? If you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the back um, for you to use. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that home and enjoy it. So we're in John 15. We're going to be in 1 through 17. So let's read that together. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things... I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you that uh, you've uh, caused us to gather this morning in worship of you. And I just pray that uh, in these moments, as we study your word together, um, be it a very a different format than usual, that it would be uh, that you would teach us, that your spirit would move among us, that you'd open our eyes to see and our heart to receive a word from you, God. And I pray that you would guide this time uh, with me and Jesse, that you'd guide our words and our speech. And I pray that what we say today would be helpful and edifying and building up for the body of Christ. So Lord, come and have your way as we seek to abide in your word in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, so let's just go back to the first verse, and we're going to kind of take this a little bit by bit, and I'm going to start, okay? Go for it. All right, good. That's what we, that is, we did plan this a little bit, so. Slightly. And uh, so this is our first time working through it together, like publicly, though. It is. We, well, we had Thursday, we worked through it quite a bit. We were on the phone for about an hour, I think, till after midnight the other night going through it. Uh, but we did figure, too, yeah. uh, Super Bowl is not till 5.30 tonight, so it's a good Sunday for us each to preach right. an hour. So, Amen. Uh, Amen. Yeah. Amen. I agree. But you stood me up last night. We didn't get on the phone like we were supposed to, but that's okay. I, we'll figure that out later. Um, the true vine. The true vine. So let's look, look at this uh, just right here. And there's no points today. I'm sorry. Like... It just wasn't happening. So there's no points. We're just going to go through it verse by verse. So verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So let's just start there. I am the true vine. So we need to know is this is uh, Jesus' seventh I am statement. So you've heard me tell you this. Uh, this is the seventh time you've heard me explain this, um, but let's go through it one more time. Uh, Jesus, when he says I am, he's referring back to this moment in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is uh, walking through the wilderness, doing his normal job, and then he sees a bush burning, but not being consumed. And then the bush begins to talk to him. 
And, and, and it's the Lord manifesting Himself through this burning bush. And the Lord calls Moses to go and free the Israelites and says, hey, you go to my people and uh, I'm going to free them. You're going to be my, the leader and all of that. And Moses says, among a lot of things, he says, who will I tell them sent me? And the Lord responds, says, I am who I am. I am who I am. So I am who I am in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, in the Greek translation, that's ego I me. It's the same word that Jesus is using here where he says, I am the vine. Ego I me. What he's saying is, I am God. I am Yahweh. I am the one who met with Moses at the burning bush. That's me. And he said he had seven of these uh, statements. So let's just review. He says, I am the bread of life in chapter 6. I am the light of the world in chapter 8. He says, I am the gate in chapter 10, and also I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life in chapter 11. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life in chapter 14. And right here, he says, I am the true vine. God's, Jesus' self-disclosure about who he is and what he is like as the person of God. And, uh, but he says, I am the true vine. So why does he say true? Why does he say true? Well, it's because they would have been very familiar with the idea of uh, a vine. See, in the Old Testament, over 30 times is Israel, the nation, referred to as a vine or a vineyard. Uh, let me show you a couple of spots. In uh, Psalm 80 is a, is a big section where this occurs. Psalm 80 and um, verse 8 and 9. He says, You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You... I am reading the wrong verse. Chapter 80, verse 8. So let's go back. Let's go down to 8. I was worried like 4 or something. Verse 8 says, You brought a vine. There it is. I know you were like, what does this have to do? You brought a vine out of Egypt. We just talked about that. The Exodus, the vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. And so over and over in the Old Testament is... Israel referred to as the, a vine or a vineyard, like God, uh, he, he bought the land, He cultivated the soil, He planted the vineyard, He pruned and plucked and got it all going. And, um, but what we see several times is, it says, but you were unfruitful. They were unfaithful and unfruitful and disobedient and turned away from God. And um, we see that in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 4. Isaiah 5 4 says, What more was there to do for my vineyard? What have I not done? But when I looked for a yield of grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? This idea of, of they were unfruitful. They were disobedient. They were going after other things. Jesus, even in uh, the parable in Matthew 21, he tells this parable of a vineyard, and the vineyard in that parable represents Israel. Well, the problem is that they were unfruitful. And so Jesus says, I'm, I'm replacing Israel. I'm the true vine. I am the ultimate fulfillment of the, the vine picture in the Old Testament. It's no longer uh, Israel in which you are to be connected to or remain in. I am the vine and you must remain in me. Now, what's interesting is that in, back to Psalm 80, he says that. 
in Psalm 80. It actually prophesies that Jesus is going to do this. In Psalm 80, verse 14, he says, Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down, they have perished at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the Son of Man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. If you're like a note taker in your Bible, put a J next to verse 17. That's a prophecy about Jesus. That he, that, yeah, Israel failed as the vineyard or the vine of God, but Jesus is going to come as the Son of Man and be the one true vine that is fruitful. So the vine idea, a vineyard, a vine of grapes, is um, it's the idea that he's the source of life, that he's the source of nourishment and um, fruit. Now, they would have saw uh, the idea of remaining in Israel as the source for their spiritual life. I'm going to remain in Israel. That's going to be my source for spiritual life. But um, I don't think that that's probably a temptation for any of us in here this room, right? Like, you're probably not like, wrapped up in your identity with the nation of Israel, are you? And so for us, it's, some, it's probably something different. Um, we f- see our fulfillment and our life and our nourishment in uh, other things outside of um, Israel. Maybe we look at uh, a career and, and see our life-giving nature in a career or in um, a hobby or in maybe family either or pleasure the idea here is like, what are you happening to? What are you looking to to be your vine? What are you looking to to give you life or spiritual life? For, for me, um, you know, I have, there's a temptation for me to make uh, my career, my job, the one true vine. Now, I'm a, I'm a pastor, so it gets complicated, but whenever I look to my role as a pastor to be shaping my identity and what I find fulfillment and life in, what happens if I'm no longer a pastor? What happens to my soul? Like, it, it, it can't sustain the weight of being my true vine. Or maybe it's even your family. You know, family's a good thing. It's a priority. It's something we should, we should prioritize, but... But sometimes if we find, if we look to our family to be the thing that gives us ultimate fulfillment, then even that can become a source uh, of a false vine. And so Jesus here is saying, look to me, remain in me. I'm the source of all life and truth. But he goes on and says something about the vineyard or vine dresser. That's right. So Jesus is the vine. <laughs> you know, one of the, the cool things about, we, we've got, we've each got our, Phones up here, it's like, feel like we're playing chess. Your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. Um, I, I took less time than I was supposed to, I know it. You did. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so that's one, as we oftentimes just sit in the coffee shop, that's we, we listen to each other, and man, that's cool. And, and so, he, you know, you've got your notes listed here, the, uh, the seven I am's, uh, and even seeing them just in this, this list. So in chapter six, so you talk about that the vine is like that source of life, um, in chapter 6, it's, I'm the bread of life. Mm. Uh, in, in chapter 11, I'm the res- resurrection and the life. Yeah. 
uh, and then chapter 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and so three times that the life repeats itself. And so it's like we should probably put any time God's word repeats itself. And we're going to look at that here in this passage, yeah. what's repeated. Uh, but it's like that, that idea of the vine is like he wants to be, well, not he wants to, well, yeah, he does want to be. But really the only way that we can have true and abundant life, because it says without God, we're, we're dead. We're, we're, we are born a living dead person, if you want to say it that way. Uh, but with, dead. That's right, walking dead. There it is. See, that's where it comes. Uh, but it's like he is, our, needs to be our source of life. And uh, so, so, so Justice explained well just that the, how the, the Old Testament references, uh, you know, in the Passover meal, it's, uh, it refers to Jesus says to him, he says, I will not uh, drink from the, the, the fruit of the vine and, or have, partake of the fruit of the vine. And so he's talking about the grapes or the wine. Uh, you know, grapes and wine uh, were very common Old Testament imagery and things like that. And so the, the, that idea is one of the things it represents is God's goodness to his people. Um, and so that idea that when our life source is him, we're connected to the goodness of God. Uh, that's a song we sing, right? The goodness of God. But thinking about like through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we are literally connected to the goodness of God. Um, that's pretty I think, easy to overlook sometimes. but So that's kind of what he's saying here. And so Jesus is the vine. God is the vine dresser. Uh, Justice just read Isaiah 5. I want to go back and read a little bit more of that. So that is chapter, Isaiah chapter 5 uh, and verse 1. It says, Let me sing for my beloved uh, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved uh, had a vineyard. And so my beloved or beloved here is God. Uh, that it's referring to. So God had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. But as Justice references, it says, but it yielded wild grapes. So what did God do? It says, and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah. So again, this is referencing the, the vine being Israel before Jesus comes. Uh, it says, judge between me and my vineyard. It's like judge between God and the people uh, is what it's saying. Uh, God's going to win every time, right? God is holy. God is pure. We, we pale compared to who God is every time. And so he's saying, in light of who I am versus who, in light of who your sin has made you, how would you judge? He says that. Uh, and so verse 5, or verse 4 continues, says, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Verse 5, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. Again, this is God speaking to Israel. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled, trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned. We're going to talk about that in a second. It will not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men in Judah uh, are his pleasant planting. So again, referring, this is the Old Testament, what this is. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. And that's what kind of the backdrop of what got, to, what got us here. What got us here, right, is because he said, I had to send the new vine. Jesus is the new vine. I am the vine dresser. Um, and so Putting it together right there in verse 1, I am the true vine, so Jesus, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. I mean, it's just such, a, it, it closely links Jesus and God. 
All right, we're not going to get a, a ton into Trinitarian theology this morning, but God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one. Maybe you've heard it explained like an egg or H2O uh, or who, who knows, onion. I don't know all these other, other ways. Uh, have you heard any others besides those? I haven't heard the onion one. You haven't heard the onion one? No. Okay, well, you like peel it back in every layer. There's like a different layer. Oh, okay. But I know. Anyways, three so layers, three, three layers. layers. Well, layers an onion on generally has more layers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I don't know. It falls short. All examples, right, fall short at some point. Uh, but anyway, so it's talking here and it's saying like God and Jesus, they are one. But as we look here, they seem to have different roles. Uh, and we know in our lives, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are one. But they have three separate distinct roles that just in creation, uh, in the world, but also in our life. And so that the link, the, it's important, I think, that it's linking them closely here. One, this is speaking to intimacy, that we, that we can't be any more intimate than literally be connected to Jesus, but then God and Jesus as well, uh, linked together, right? John 1.1 1, 1 says that. Uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? You can't get any more closely linked than that. Uh, he was with him, and he was him. How does that make sense? I don't know, but it does, right? Just because they're three in one. Uh, and then you, you reference that Jesus says that I am the gate. Uh, so he's the way to God um, in, verse, uh, four, in chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am, again, the way. No man comes to me but through the Father. Or no man comes to the Father but through me, right? So this idea, they're closely linked, linked that the way to the Father is through Jesus. Uh, and that's what part of these, the, the, what's being said here. But why does it dif- differentiate between? So they are linked. They are the same but one is the vine, one is the vine dresser. Uh, and the roles here that we see in, in verse uh, 2 is every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or removes uh, and, or plucks. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And so we see these kind of these two roles, removing uh, from uh, the dead branches and then pruning fruitful branches. There's just some reference here uh, uh, a little bit before that um, Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This is echoed, this might sound familiar, Pastor Justice just preached on this around chapter 13, verse 10 and 11. This is, he's just, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. Chapter 13, verse 10, he says, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And get this, and you are clean, but not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. So I love when God's word says, this is why it says this. Like, so there's no room for interpretation, right? So Jesus is saying here, there are those that are clean. Uh, there are those that are not clean, though they seem to be the same. They l- might look the same. And that's what we see here. Uh, and so we might think, uh, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Is this talking about losing your salvation? Is this about backsliding? Uh, what, what, is, what is going on here? Uh, and I think if we look at what, Judas, in context the 12, uh, it really speaks to that idea that, that he was not bearing fruit, that he wasn't really, he wasn't saved in, in that time. Uh, and so we could get, go deeper into that, but the one that was removed was Judas, the one that was pruned was Peter. And we can see that in the rest of, of Scripture. And so, you know, in Matthew uh, chapter 13, it talks about the seed that they fell on different ground. And it says some right away grew up, so we could say they were in the vine, but because of the worries of the world or because of temptations of the world or because of the thorns, they were choked out or they did not bear fruit, and so they died away. And so again, this idea of things that seem to be in but are not truly in 
removed. And so what it's speaking to here is that, and that justice is going to lay out for us what that idea of remaining in, that it's not about just that, that initial, I think sometimes what we talk about sometimes in the church, do we kind of preach salvation wrong that, hey, just say this prayer and you're saved. Um, we're going to see in the rest of this passage that it's not about saying a one-time prayer uh, being with Jesus. And so just as I'm kind of wrapping this up and bringing this kind of home, you know, just, just thinking that for, for us, our, our main role is remain. And we can get so hung up on well, what does it mean to be in and then removed? What, well, if we just remain in God, then that, it takes care of that. And so if we would just focus kind of on that idea, um, then I think some of this, the rest of this becomes so unclear. Uh, and then one last side before I push it back to you uh, is that idea of pruning, uh, removing away things so that healthy growth can come. Has anybody ever grown grapevine? Anybody in here? No, no one. one. I see one, one vine dresser down there, okay? So it's like really after the first year, and I don't know, I just had to read this stuff, okay? But about 90% of new growth is cut away in the first year of growing so that you can allow for more growth. And then the second year, a bunch is cut back. Yeah. And so it's that idea so that, gr- that new growth is not hindered by the dead stuff. Uh, and so pruning, removing so that full growth Okay. Are you going to talk a little bit more about it? No, I think you have a oh, picture. Okay, I did have an image. So can we pull that image up? Uh, I didn't know if it got on because I sent it to him late. There it is. Okay, so here's year one. Uh, in the spring, summer, it's starting to sp- sprout up. And I don't know any too much about gardening, but I know Justin shared the story that he hates growing things until yeah. he mowed over the tree that's, that's that it. one year. Uh, I've mowed over it's like, one since then. In summer, it was growing... Justice mowed it over in the winter. Year one, justice mowed it over. Uh, it's, like, it's like, why would you do that? Why would you mow it down like that? But look what happens in year two of the summer. More growth, more liveness, which isn't a word, but happens because uh, it was pruned. And then that winter, uh, all that pretty stuff is cut back so that there's just one cane, is that referred to. And actually, there's a term that you train, you, you tie it to rope, to strings and stuff like that, so that that initial cane is actually trained, goes where you want it to go. And so there's so much spiritual application that we could dig deeper. And why? Because look at year three, look at the fruit, look at, what, at, the, at the liveliness, that's probably the better word, the liveliness because of this pruning process. And so in our life, God is actively pruning us. He's removing things that are hindering growth. And that can be a painful process. It can feel like a limb maybe being cut off. But it's God that prunes. And the, the last thing in this is to realize it's not our job to prune once another, one another. Yes, we are called to uh, walk alongside each other. We're called to hold each other accountable. Uh, but it is God that is the pruner, uh, and the, the remover, uh, but, but our role is, as a follower of Christ is to submit to the Holy Spirit to allow that pruning. Uh, so it's God that does the pruning, but it's us that allows the Holy, opens our life up and submits to the Holy Spirit to allow that. Amen. Yeah. Well, good. Well, whenever I, whenever my trees lose their leaves in the winter, I just, they're gone. You, yeah, you think you'd do that. That's what it is. <laughs> I've actually probably mowed over another tree since we last spoke. Is this a confession? It's just reality. You just crushed arborists. I'm not as patient the as the Lord is with us. And Thankfully. So I guess the encouragement in that is that, you know, you might be in a season that is so difficult. And you're like, has God left me? I feel like nothing's going right. I feel like there's no fruit in my life at this moment. And God's like, yeah, it's, it's the winter. And I, I've pruned you. And it's painful. But a fruitful season is coming. 
And so, um, so yeah. Just, just as you say that, I'm reminded of so Habakkuk 3, right, talks about though there might be no grapes on the, on the right. vine, though there might be no sheep in the pen. Uh, maybe, does anybody in here have sheep? No, sh- no shepherds, okay. Any, t- any but, tomatoes, any tomatoes. Tomatoes. All right, yes, so there may be, someone would have tomatoes. So this is an adaptation of Scripture, okay? Though there may be no tomatoes on the vine, uh, there in Habakkuk 3 it says, yet I will praise the Lord. Uh, and so I think you're right so many times. We just talked about this, I think, last week, how we confuse, I think, sometimes of plenty with blessing. That we think, man, I've got lots of stuff, so I must be blessed. Uh, and I think that's, a, and, and those that don't have things, they must not be as blessed right. as I am. And I, we, you can't get that if you understand this passage, right? Well, like you said, Judas had 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. That's right. I wouldn't call him blessed. Not at all. Neither yeah. did Jesus. <laughs> right. Right. So... Um, so yeah, so let's, now we're on verse 4. So let's just go to verse 4, uh, where he says, um, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole section, but he over and over, he's like, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Abide is referenced, is said 11 times in 17 verses. Could, like anyone reading this passage could be like, I wonder what the big idea of this passage is. What is it? Abide, right. It's, it's abide. But I, I don't think that abide is probably a word that many of us use on a regular basis. At least I don't. And, uh, and so abide just means to remain in, to be, to be connected to. It, it's kind of like uh, to remain faithful in, in a marriage. One of the things that, um, that I, I love the most, one of the things I love the most about my wife, Cammie, we're getting ready next month to celebrate seven years of marriage. And I know that's nothing to many of you. You have long marriages. Praise the Lord for that. But uh, for us... You've reached perfection. Seven's perfection, that's right? It, that's oh, it. Perfect marriage. It it's only gets better from here. And so, um, but one of the things that I, I, I love the most about her is that she hasn't left, right? That's like, that's like a big thing, that's like a big thing, you know, and my views on Valentine's Day and everything. She just hasn't gone anywhere. And uh, that's like the bedrock for a healthy marriage is no matter what happens, I'm going to remain in the seasons of plenty, in the seasons of little, and, you know, I'm going to remain in you, with you. And, uh, and that's the idea here. It's like never leaving, staying connected. Um, and then, but, but John uh, Mark Comer, an author, in one of his books, he, he talks about this idea that in every vineyard there's a trellis. There's, there's a structure that holds up the vine and facilitates growth. And he talks about how in the life of the Christian, the thing that um, gives structure to our abiding in the vine is uh, what he calls practices practicing the way of Jesus or spiritual disciplines. And in the passage here, we see a few. Um, we see uh, the word, we see prayer, we see abiding in his love. And so let's just look at a couple of that. Like this is a relationship. These are relational things he's talking about. He's going to talk about how um, he, he considers us friends in a little bit. So these are relational terms. And what do you need for any good relationship? Well, I guess there's a lot of things, but one of the things that you typically hear often is communication, right? Communication. We have to learn to communicate in a healthy way. And, and that's what he points to. He's like, at the, at the foundation of this abiding that you're going to do is a communication. And it is uh, first in the word. He says, abide in verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And then uh, if we just go 
up a little bit. So he's like, how does it, what does abiding look like? It looks like abiding in my words, like having time in the word of God to hear from the Lord. And, um, and so, but in verse 6, he gives this kind of negative example where he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. When I read that, that verse, I thought of uh, Psalm chapter 1, because here in John, he says, the one that doesn't abide withers. And in, John, uh, in Psalm 1, maybe you know, maybe familiar with this psalm, he says, blessed is the man who walks, or woman, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, which which I think we could probably, the principle is delighting in God's Word. At this point, all they had was the law, the first five books. And I know many of you, that's your least favorite part of your Bible reading plan. Like, just let me get through Leviticus. But he's like, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's in it. He's remaining. He's abiding in it. He is like, look at this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So the idea is that if you are abiding in, remaining in, delighting in the Word of God, that's the thing that brings life uh, and fruitfulness to your life. Um, if you don't have a habit of daily Bible reading, your soul, according to the Bible, your soul will dry up and wither. Like we have to have it. Our souls are starving for the Word of God. So, uh, communication, but the first thing is hearing from God in His Word. And the second is uh, prayer. So if you go to the second part of verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it'll be done for you. I love that because I think that's like something a friend would say. I feel like I could say to you, hey, man, whatever you need, whatever you wish, whatever you need, if I can do it, I'll do it. And Jesus says that to them. Hey, if you abide in me, if we have this abiding relationship, whatever you want, whatever you need, whatever you wish, let me know. I'll make it happen. And um, it's the idea of total dependence. This whole thing is uh, about total dependence. He even says in verse 16, um, he says, so that whatever you ask in the, in, the, in the Father in my name, he will give to you. It's this idea of asking, talking to the Lord, praying, and depending totally on the Lord. See, the, the branch depends more on a vine than uh, any other of Jesus' uh, illustrations. He, uh, a branch depends more on the vine than a sheep does on the shepherd. A sheep can survive without a shepherd, maybe not for long. It might be a terrible existence, but a sheep can survive without a shepherd. And, uh, a ch- or even the dependence of a child on their, on their parents, because a child can survive um, without their parents. But a, a branch cannot survive outside of the vine. It's disconnected, it's done. And, um, and so it's this idea of total dependence. Jesus is not, I heard one person say this, Jesus is not interested in being a supplement to your life that he must be the source of your life. He's not just one thing that we're adding on, believing some religious thing so I can get to heaven. He wants to be all of your life, the source of your life. 
He even says in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, he doesn't mean you can't do anything. Unbelievers do stuff. He's talking about nothing of any spiritual or eternal value. We can do nothing without him. But do we actually live like that? Do we actually live like that? Do we actually live dependent on God in that way? I say that because I believe that your prayer life reflects your level of dependence on God. Do we actually totally depend on Him? Whenever I am trying to decide who I should date, have I prayed about it? Have I asked God about it? I'm about to tie my heart up with somebody else and get all emotionally involved with them. Have I even asked the Father, is this the right thing for me? When I decide to take a job, have I prayed about it? Have I thought about how it affects my involvement in the kingdom of God? And if this is a right place for me? When I decide to get a tattoo, have I prayed about it? I'm not anti-tattoo. I'm, I'm, I'm for wise tattoos. And uh, I remember I just, I've probably shared this story with you before, but I, there was this young lady uh, in my youth ministry one time, and she had just gotten out of high school, and she was going to get a tattoo. And Praise the Lord, she wanted to get a scripture tattooed on her uh, body. And she said, look, I, I'm getting a scripture tattooed on me. And, uh, and it, it pretty much says the just of the passage was, depend on God for everything. You know, trust God for everything. And I said, that's great, cool. Have you asked God if you could get that tattoo? I, I never thought about that. You never thought about it? You're getting a verse saying you depend on God for everything. You haven't even asked him if you can get something permanently marked on your body? So like, it's just like the things we don't think about. We, we feel like we have all this autonomy apart from God. And he's like, no, you got to depend on me for everything. When I decide where I'm going to send my kids to school, have I prayed about it? Have I sought the Lord of it? Most of us send our children to have their minds and worldviews shaped by institutions and have never asked God if that's the right place to send them. Like, we have to depend on God for everything. He says, ask whatever you wish. Pray in faith, and God will do it. Pray in faith. I, I, about a year ago, about this time last year, I was uh, a, a desire in my heart came to, um, I was like, God, wouldn't it be cool if, if we could add a, another like, pastor that we could partner in ministry together? That would be awesome. And, uh, and then, but we can't pay him anything. So if you could get somebody that already has like full income, but they could partner in ministry with us. That'd be wonderful. And uh, I was like, like Jesse. Jesse would be great because Jesse, you know, he support Rays, and he already has like people who support his mission. But if he could just come here. But I was like, no, he's he's kind of partnered. He, he's already involved in a ministry, and I'm not going to pull him away from that, you know. And so I just kind of left it. I told my wife about it. We prayed about it, but that was about it. And then a few months later, he was released from the ministry that he had been a part of for many years. And I was like, God. Is this real? Can this happen? And so approached him, and it was actually a mutually beneficial relationship. And, uh, and so now, here we are, partners in ministry, preaching a sermon together. There we are. Ask whatever you wish. What Justice didn't tell you is I found out afterwards that he actually emailed that ministry and said, hey, if you would release him. So he didn't do that. Not to my knowledge, anyways. Yeah. So prayer and, and ask whatever you wish, but it's more than just asking God for a bunch of stuff. Although I could tell you so many stories about how God has answered prayers. 
Um, it's more than just about getting stuff from God. It's about building a relationship with him. Uh, there was one author that said this, prayer comes spontaneously from those who abide in Jesus. Prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. And so he wants to hear from you. And then love. In verse 9, he says, um, as my father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I just need you to know that you are loved by God. You're loved by God. Um, as my daughter, uh, Rory, five years old, abides in my love because she hears it from me and she, she experiences it from me every day. She lives in a house of love and she abides there. And that, that reality should be our reality with the Father, that he loves us like a good father loves his children and you need to know that you are loved. Amen. I mean, just listen to yourself. Do you listen to yourself when you speak? No, I plug my ears. Okay, uh, you're just 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 thinking about everything that you just said. What like really stands out to you about all that you just shared? If there's like one, boom. Well, you can't ask me questions, man. That's not part of the plan. Um, <laughs> what stands out to me? I, I'm just overwhelmed by the, the just the love relationship that God wants for us. That he has, he has, he has gone through the trouble of writing a thorough a love letter for us, and um, and then he loves to hear from us. And I've just, you know, recently, especially, seen God just hearing and answering prayer, and just to know that that relationship is real and that He cares. I think that's, that's something that has really mm-hmm. impacted me. Mm-hmm. That's really good. You know, and again, we didn't, we didn't rehearse that question, but just thinking about that idea of the relationship and, and love, you know, I think one thing that I've heard over the years from maybe non-Christians or those that are curious or seeking, I say, well, you Christians, you're all about, about a bunch of rules. Um, and several months ago, Justice kind of addressed the idea of legalism. And certainly we can make our preferences and things like that law, and that's where legalism comes, denominations do that, churches do that, non-denominational churches do that, uh, so there certainly is legalism, um, but we're, the whole like kind of crux of this passage is that like the law thing didn't work, uh, not that it didn't work, but man was unable to live up to the 613 laws, uh, and so God didn't just say, well, you're on your own, uh, and God didn't have to think of a backup plan, Jesus was always the plan, uh, And but that idea that like and Jesus didn't abandon the law, right? He says, I've come to fulfill the law. But like how we live with God now is through everything that you're talking about, these things that are the relational. Uh, but so I think then we can take that too far and say, well, God loves me. Let me just kind of la-di-da, float through life. And you know, God loves me. He's gracious. He's merciful. He is, but he wants obedience. And you talked a lot about that last, last week. And this kind of is where there is a little bit of a shift in this passage Uh, in verse 12. Uh, So he's been talking about commandments, 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 but verse 12, he's very clear. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And as I was just thinking about really, verses uh, 4 through 10 have a lot to do with loving God. Uh, And then kind of uh, the next several verses uh, really talk about loving others. Uh, And so when Jesus was asked by the the Pharisees, they said, well, what's, what's what's the greatest commandment? Uh, he said, well, to love the Lord your God, and then the second is, is like it, 
uh, to love your neighbor. And he said, all the law, all the, all the law of the prophets hinges on those two things. And so it was like a kind of a joke, I think, by Jesus a little bit. He's like, well, I'd say, because if you look at the Ten Commandments, one through five are about loving God, and six through ten are about loving people. Right. So Jesus is like, well, they're all important. Uh, one through five closely followed by six through ten. Uh, but it's that idea that, like, oh, and you said it last week, that love for God is obedience to God. Uh, and we don't like to talk about that because, no, 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 the law's done. Uh, we don't want to be legalistic. So let you're not reading scripture if you can't connect love and obedience because God's word is so clear. Uh, so I think Jesus here is kind of shifting from like, we just talked about loving God for a few minutes now, like this idea of loving others, uh, that this is what love for God looks like. Uh, and again, just if you're like, well, I still don't know, just, you know, John 8, 31 says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So again, maybe taught that word, truly my disciples. There's some that look like his disciples, but those that obey my that, that abide in my word are truly my disciples. It's interesting in John chapter 6, right after Jesus feeds the 5,000, uh, their bellies are full. They're like, man, we want some more of that. So they follow him to the other side of the, uh, the, the lake, the other side of the sea. And he tells them, he says, y'all aren't here because you want like some more scriptural uh, or some more spiritual food. He says, y'all are just hungry again. And he says, I'm going to give you some food, but first, I'm going to teach, teach you. And so he goes on and says, I'm the bread of life, uh, and talks about that whole idea, and it causes confusion in some of these things. Uh, but then he, he says at the end of that, he says, well, this, this is true, right? And it says, for, and it's verse uh, 6, 66, and I think you read about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, not a, a quint, those numbers, Jesus didn't put the numbers. As he, this is verse 6, this is verse 66, right? But it's, it says many of his, it doesn't say people. It doesn't say many lost people. It says many disciples no longer followed him, yeah. right? Uh, at the res- after Jesus is resurrected in the Great Commission, verse 17, I think it is, in Matthew 28, it says that they believed and said, but there were some that didn't believe. Right. It's like he just came back to life. Like how are those that still? So anyway, all that idea that there's this idea that obeying God's command is like that, that difference in like just posers and like real followers, okay? And, and so this isn't my words. This is the word of God. It says, are truly my disciples. Uh, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, and then John 13, 35, so what is one of those commandments? Is by all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we see that echoed right here, uh, back to chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. And then Jesus breaks it down a little more. He says, how are you to love one another? Uh, love one another as I have loved you. Right? Husbands, we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Like This is a common thread. Like Jesus, after he washes the disciples' feet uh, two chapters earlier, he says, now do the same thing for one another. So Jesus is the perfect example, and he's saying here, how are we called to love one another? The way Jesus loved us. And so what does this look like? I'm glad you asked, because Jesus addresses that in the next verse. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so again, introduces this word of being friends with Jesus. But he says, there's no greater love than to lay down your life. Well, who laid down his life? Jesus. For who? he kept, So he's directly linking those that he died for that accept what he did are his Friends. So again, these aren't just words that he's saying. He's saying, look, the greatest form of love you can have is to die for your friends. I died for y'all. You're my friends. Right? And so following Jesus then, if we're supposed to love him and others the way that he loved us, it means sacrificing for one another. 
It means humility with one another. It means forgiveness with one another. And we could go, just keep going, long, long list. But so if we're saying, man, man how should I treat my, my friends? How should I treat my spouse? We need to see how did Jesus love us? And we are called, not suggested, we are called, we are commanded to love one another the exact same way. And when we do that, Jesus calls us his friends. Friends. And so verse 14, he goes on and says, you are my friends. He spells it out again. I love when he spells it out. He said, just to reiterate, uh, obey my commands, no greater love than this, lay down the friends. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Why do we get so weird about the word command and obedience? Jesus is making it so simple here, and it's about love. It's about a response to Jesus, what he did for us. So we love him in response, right? not because of what we did. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. It was not what we did, but loving him in response for what he did, and then loving others the exact same way. And so I read it, I heard it this way uh, by D.A. Carson, who's just an amazing theologian. He said, obedience is not what believers do. Uh, what be- believers, Jesus' friends, I'm sorry, I skipped a word. I was like, that doesn't even make sense, DA, come on. Uh, it was me. Uh, obedience is not what makes believers Jesus' friends. Okay, so it's not, hey, we just obey, and okay, now, but it says, but what characterizes Jesus' friends. Did you catch that? So again, it's not, he's not, pre, he's not counter, uh, he's not disagreeing with other scripture where it's, it's by grace, it's not by works, right? He's saying that. It's not the, the it's not the mark, it's, it's not what deserves us to be friends, it's the mark or it's what characterizes us as being friends with Jesus if we obey his commandments, if we obey his commandments. And verse, verse 15 talks about that strong language. Uh, we would say this is strong language. It was very common in their vernacular. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Right? And so, so what, is, what is Jesus saying there? He's like, look, I don't keep you in the dark about things. If you're confused about God, I'm not saying misunderstood because there's lots of that doesn't mean that we can understand everything from beginning to end okay but if there's confusion like oh I don't, is this God that's not from God that's from the enemy putting confusion because God wants us to know him he says that right here that he tells us everything that his father tells him now it might be in bits and pieces right for as we spiritually mature but he's saying I don't look at you as servants I look at you as friends and then Verse 16, as Justice kind of referenced, it says it early in uh, in verse 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, kind of repeats that. You did not choose me. All right, so again, our faith, our salvation is not of our own works. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you, uh, which again was very Uh, countercultural. Lots of uh, rabbis had disciples or students, uh, and you had to go to the rabbi and say, hey, can I be your student? Will you be my rabbi? And Jesus says, I love y'all so much, I came to you. So again, very countercultural, very like Jesus didn't do the things the way the world did things. He pursues us. And yes, I preached a few weeks ago, I draw near to him and he draws to us. So there is a mutual drawing. But Jesus says, I came to you. And then why? He says, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Uh, and Justice is going to talk about that in just a minute and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. 
And so I love the part there that says, whatever you ask in what? My name. Okay, so this isn't some like health, wealth, prosperity. This is, hey, whatever you want, you want a Lambo in the driveway, just ask for it. And if you're, if you're obeying my commands, it's going to be there tomorrow. It'll be there before you get home. Okay? This isn't like just ask anything. It says, ask anything in my name. So what this is saying, it kind of references back to uh, John 14, verse 13 and 14. It says, whatever you ask in my name, again, Jesus speaking, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so what's being said in verse 7, what's being said verse here in 16, and there in chapter 14, verse 13, 14, is as we ask things that are in accordance with God's will, but even a step further that bring glory to him. That's what asking in his name means. Not asking for whatever, but it's asking for those things that are based on the character of who God is so that he gets glory. And that's what this passage is talking about here. Tag. So... (laughs) So what I got from that is that I need to find friends who are willing to lay down their life for me. That's exactly what it says. That's what I thought. Which is, right, that's like the highest standard. And we think like, and we say, well, so Jesse, are you saying that? But it's, I mean, what is that, what do you think that looks like in a very practical sense? (laughs) You open the door, all right? You were were going back, so I'm not batting the ball back. I was joking. No, but what do you think that looks like? It's about not us looking. See, I think we read that and we're like, man, I got to get some better friends. But... It's about, it's about being that friend, right? It's yes. about being that for others. Yes. Loving that way. Right. Because he's commanding me. He's com- like talking to me and he's talking to them. He's like, yeah. you go do this. Not like seek this out, right? This yeah. isn't like you're, what you should seek in a friend. It's what you should do and then do unto others as we do unto one another. It should be, there should be some mutuality here. Right. But I, that's a great point that we take this list and be like, hmm, who are my friends? Mm, nope, you wouldn't. Mm. You didn't even give me a Christmas card, okay? Right. Off. Uh, but right, it's like, how can I do this uh, for others? That's a, good, that's a good point. Yeah, and this is the idea of friendship with God, man. That's incredible. That he, that he calls us his friends. And, uh, you know, think of a good friend that you have. I mean, Jesse and I have a good friendship. And, um, you know, just to, to imagine that God wants that type of relationship with us, friendship with us. That's amazing. We got to move quickly. Um, the, the guy who's playing on playing the, the closing music is already up here. Is it like when you're, when you're giving your speech at the Oscars and then, then, then that music starts playing saying, you're long-winded, you need to get off the stage. <laughs> I'm only halfway done, okay? So <laughs> You can uh, sit back down, Darren. No. Go, go. Um, so anyway... Okay. That's where, right. where, yeah, where see, we, gonna, we need to think of others. That's right. Yes, thank thank we'll you, Brandy. We will sacrifice your next section for the sake of the we'll kids' do it. ministry. We'll do it. And LaShawn just shout out an amen. <laughs> we um, waste some time. Uh, but look at, look at verse 4 uh, real quick. And let's, uh, sorry, verse 2. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that he will bear more fruit. Uh, it, the word fruit, the idea of fruit, is mentioned eight times in these verses. Eight times, fruit. So apart from abide, the other big theme is fruit. Fruit, fruit, fruit. You're going to be bearing some fruit. And I think that we think, uh, when we think of fruitfulness, we think of external things. Like, is what they're doing prospering? Um, how many people have they led to the Lord? Uh, how, what's the size of your church? This is what happens. You, like, what kind of church do you go to? Okay, how big is it? It's like, what, what's the fruitfulness? Um, how many people have you baptized? But um, I don't know if you've noticed this about the trend in Jesus' ministry is that he cares a lot more about what's going on the inside 
than he does about what's happening outside in the sense of he's all about looking at the heart. So he's saying this passage is not, uh, the thrust of the passage is not about winning souls, although I think that's one of the outflows of a, a relationship with Jesus. Um, it's not about, you know, how, many, how big your church is. It's um, about something internal. And it, back, if we re- remember back in chapter 14, he talked about how I'm going to send you this helper, the Holy Spirit, that is going to live inside of you and empower you to do what, uh, to, you know, have this relationship. And then here he says, abide and bear fruit. And there's a passage in Scripture that puts these two things together. And uh, it's in Galatians 5, where he says, the fruit of the Spirit <laughs> is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is uh, no law. And so the idea is that there's this internal fruit of um, a, a character, a, a heart, a desire, a mind that thinks and feels and desires like Jesus. And it's the, the whole idea is that when you abide in the vine, the, 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 what's hap- the life of the vine is going to flow through you. Like it's coming out of you. You get what's in the vine. And so you become more like the vine because that's what you're getting your source for all life is. So, you know what? I thought, actually, I think this morning, what consumes you is what you're abiding in. Whatever you're remaining in, whatever you're abiding in is the thing that consumes you. Consumes your thoughts, consumes your desires, consumes your heart. It consumes everything about you. So if you're a big sports person and it's like that's all that's on your mind, maybe you play sports, or you did play sports, or you're interested in sports, you're super excited about the Super Bowl, you're ready to go, like, that's the thing that consumes you. It's the thing that you think about. It's the thing that you invest in. It's the thing that you talk about. If um, your, your career is that thing, it's the thing you're always thinking about. You're always trying to improve. You're always getting better. You're always spending time there. You're always desire, your desires are so wrapped up in that thing. And again, I said it's like it's family. Like, we could be consumed by abiding in our family, but, um, but if you're abiding in Jesus, he's the thing that will consume all of your thoughts. He's the thing that will consume your heart and your desires and your will. He's the thing that reshapes. He's not just wanting to be a piece of your life, as we said earlier. He's wanting to become what your whole life is about. So if, you, so if you're in Jesus, if you're abiding in Jesus, you'll see your career as something to be leveraged to build the kingdom of God. You, you will see your family as disciples to be built and developed and, and, and invested in, to be raised up, to be kingdom warriors for the kingdom of God. You know, I, you know some people are like, man, the, the world is getting so bad. Um, you know, I would hate, it's probably not a good time to have kids bring them into this terrible world. No, it's the best time for Christians to have kids. Like, we're, we're training up hell fighters. If there's anybody who needs to be having more kids, it's probably Christians. Like, have them, train them up, send them out into the world, push back the devil, and, uh, or if you're a sports person, like use those opportunities uh, in sports to build bridges and relationships with people to be able to have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. It's the idea that if we're abiding in Jesus, he, we start to filter every decision and activity in our life through the mind of Jesus. And um, so, so if this fruit is internal, what is consuming your insides? And uh, we see two progressions in this passage. We see a progression, a negative progression, 
I don't know if you notice in verse uh, 2, where he says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then in verse 6, he says, anyone who does not abide in me, it is thrown away like a branch. It withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So we have this negative uh, progression of if you're not in Jesus, if you're not abiding, you're going to be cast out, withered, gathered, thrown, and burned. I don't think anybody wants to be in that line. (laughs) But then there's a positive progression. In verse 2, he says, um, notice this, every branch in me that, that does not bear fruit, so it's bearing fruit. And then he says, um, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. So we have, if you're in me, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to be pruned so you bear more fruit. And then in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. So it's this progression of fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And the idea is that as you go through life, whatever you're abiding in is going to reflect in the progression of your life. As I age, am I becoming more and more spiritually dry and withered and distant, my heart distant from God? Or am I becoming more loving and kind and gentle and sweet and heart wrapped up in the things of God? Which which progression, which direction is my life headed? Am I growing in my love for God and others? Verse 17 says, he kind of gives the summary of this whole passage. These things I command you so that you may love one another. It's like, are you becoming a more loving person? Is that the progression of your life? We're not doing it perfectly, but am I becoming more like Jesus year over year? Um, This whole passage talking about fruit, it's interesting though, uh, he's not commanding fruit. He's just saying that fruit is going to be evidence of abiding in Jesus. Like the fruit is just going to be evidence. It's not something we pursue. Like we look at the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. I'm going to have peace. I'm going to have peace. Patience. Oh no, Lord. Patience. I'm going to be patient, Lord. I'm going to be patient. And we try to bear the fruit. And he's like, no, the way to get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, all those things, the way to get those things is to abide in Jesus, to remain in his love, to commune with him. And um, faithfulness produces fruitfulness. Fruit is a byproduct of abiding with Jesus. Look at verse 4. Abide in me, I in you. As the branches cannot bear fruit by itself. We can't do it by just trying to produce the fruit. Unless it abides in me. In the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a byproduct of abiding. We're going to take it home right now, all right? Children's ministry, we're, 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 we're wrapping it up. I'm glad you said what you did about having kids because uh, we just had, you know, we've got a small one. Right. Uh, but, and we, we actually got, for the boys, for their birthday, we actually got them onesies that say Little Hell Fighter. So I'm glad, okay. I'm glad, I'm glad you like that. Did you really uh, No, that. we didn't. Oh. Uh, but, you know, so just wrapping this up and to, to be brief, you know, just backtrack real quickly to verse 11. It says, these things, so kind of, Verse 1, it could even be going beyond into chapter 14, but these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Uh, And again, Justice and I didn't really uh, prepare together, so to say. We divvied up who would do what. But one of the things you said is that idea is that we're in the vine, but so that those nutrients and those things can come in us and then out of us. And we see that there in verse 11, that that Jesus' joy is in us so that we may be full. Uh, And I would say that word even kind of implies 
overflowing. So those things come out of us, and that, that fruit of the Spirit, as it's in us, and, it, and it's remain, as we're remaining in Him, that it comes out. Uh, and I just want to read this last verse uh, before we pray, uh, because it's echo in verse 1 John, same author, chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. It says, That which we have seen and heard... So, again, we've seen firsthand, we've heard these things, we also proclaim to you. Why? Anytime we see the word so, that means it's answering the why, so that you may have fellowship with us. So that may you, you may have relationship with us. Being part of the body is so that we have relationship. Uh, and that word fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia, which implies Intimacy. But it doesn't end there. It says, and indeed our fellowship. So what binds us together, he's saying there, is with the Father and with the son, his Son, Jesus Christ. And then it echoes here. John was like, well, if this was good enough for Jesus, in chapter 15, verse 11, it's probably good enough for me. He says, he says and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That our joy may be complete. Think as, as Pastor Justice shared, just that faithfulness. Are we tied to that? Are we, regardless of what things look like? There's a quote that it says uh, that joy, when this idea of joy is when things are going well, we feel elated. When hardships come, we sink into depression. But true joy transcends the rolling waves of circumstances. Joy comes from a consistent relationship with Jesus Christ. That way, when our lives are intertwined with His, He will keep us, He will help us walk through adversity without sinking in to debilitating lows and manage prosperity without moving into deceptive highs. The joy of living with Jesus Christ daily will keep us level-headed no matter how high or how low our circumstances we must remain daily, and I would say I know for me, moment by moment. Because the temptation is when we're high and low to start asking questions or start looking inward. But if we remain, if we abide in Him, whatever life looks like, we're able to bear the fruit because of His Spirit in us. The fruit doesn't come because of the circumstances. The fruit doesn't come because of the things we have. Joy, those, the fruit of the Spirit, comes through being anchored in Him and being constantly attached to Him and remaining, abiding in Him. Let us pray. God, I just thank You for this morning, Lord. God, I thank You for this opportunity that uh, Pastor Justice and I had, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray that, uh, that You were honored and glorified. Lord, I pray that uh, though it was a little different format, God, that uh, as we spoke, Lord, uh, that your spirit was speaking uh, in, uh, in, in hearts, in lives, Lord. God, I pray that, that we would not just uh, go home and uh, get ready for the Super Bowl and, and turn it on, all these things, God, but that we would just walk out of here thinking about what we, what we encountered this morning in your word, Lord. Because everything that Justice and I shared, Lord, is that we didn't just cleverly come up with it. Your word says these things. Your word says that you chose us to be in you. But you did that so that we might remain in you so that our joy may be complete. 
so that we might, through you, Jesus, live the life that, God, you created us to live because, Jesus, without you, we can't. Life might seem okay for a little bit, but, but, but Lord, just without you, we will shrivel up and die. Because as we talked about a couple weeks ago, as, as you told Eve, without you, dying we shall die. But only through you does true life come. So I just pray for anyone here this morning, Lord, that just that maybe they've never, they've never responded to Holy Spirit, what you're doing in their life, the drawing. God, I pray that they would just fight back. They don't need to have all the answers. They don't even know what they need to know what that fully means. But if they are if they are experiencing you drawing them this morning, Lord, that before they walk out of here, they will come talk to someone. Say, I want to know more. I want to know Jesus that way. Lord, for those of us that, that are connected to you, Lord, that we would just apply this, that we would be those friends, that we would lay our life down for our spouses, for our children, for our friends, for our parents, that maybe it's hard to lay down our life for any of these relationships that might be broken or fractured. You don't tell us to obey this when it's easy. You just tell us to obey this. And so I pray we would do that. And I pray that we would be a church, Lord, that as, as John wrote then in 1 John, that we, our common bond, our commonality would be who you are. And through that, we would experience intimacy with you and intimacy with one another, Lord, that would just overflow so that we can make a difference here geographically where we are, but also in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces, and beyond. And so through it all, Lord, you would be honored. You would be glorified. And we ask that today, that you would allow us through the power of your Holy Spirit to have favor with others, to be able to have conversation and point them to you, to have the means to be able to uh, minister to others. And again, Lord, just through it all, that you would be honored and glorified. So God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So now you've seen it. What a coffee shop meeting looks like between us. You get two preachers together, we just preach at each other for 10 minutes at a time. That's it, you know? No. Except usually it's for like three or four hours. Right, right, right. So anyways, would you stand up? Uh, thank you for joining us today and uh, praying that you abide in uh, Jesus this week afresh. I just want to bless you from Romans. Um, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you, church. You are loved. See you next week.